powerful song, isn't it? I mean, the pain that so many of us can relate to and the, the stories that we house within ourselves. And uh, I love the way that the song ends, though, <laughs> you know, by that decision of faith that it's not going to go this way. It's, I'm not going to be that way. Uh, my heart of stone, I'm going to let it smash my past so that I can live to stand. That's what I call living by a different script. Because we, we have all been hurt by people. We all have our own story to tell, right? We all have poop from our past. We all have stuff that we are still trying to overcome. And uh, we, we have people that we can blame, clearly blame. And we have events that have defined us. And, uh, but we have a choice to make. And that choice is we will either hold on to that, hold on to those people, or we will make that choice to let God do something to heal our hearts, to redefine our past, to help us go into a future that is different, different. Let him write a different script for your life. We're finishing today the story that we have been in about the life of Joseph found in the Old Testament. Today we're going to unpack a little bit of uh, chapter 45. We'll start in 44 and we'll go over to 45. But the, his life, Joseph's life, I love his life. I mean, I don't want to live his life, but I, I love the story of his life because it relates on so many levels to us, to us in this room. That God gave him this dream, and we all have these dreams we start out with. And, and, and of course, it didn't, it didn't come about in any way that he would have ever thought. It wasn't this progressive unfolding of the dream, this line upon line, climbing the ladder of success. I mean, his life zigged and zagged, and just when he thought things were looking better, it got worse, and they were up, and they were down, and it was two steps forward and three steps back. And isn't that how many of us feel our lives have gone? Joseph receives this dream as a teenager. I can imagine as a 17-year-old, I would have loved that dream, where all my older brothers would have been serving me, would have been bowing before me. Man, I like that dream. And, uh, you know... But Joseph had no idea how long it would take. He had no idea how much he would have to suffer and how differently that dream would actually unfold in his life than maybe how he imagined as a teenage boy. And our dreams, they change too, don't they? I mean, they, they don't always look the same when they come about from the time that they were hatched. We're told by well-meaning moms and dads that we can, you know, we're unique and special and that we can become anything we want to be, that we, we can do anything we want to do because we're that special, you know? And that's the job of a mom and dad. That's great. The only problem is it's not true, right? Look around the world. Can anybody dream up anything they want to be and do anything they want to do and have it done? Not really. But if you have a dream that is birthed in you by God, that's the kind of dream worth fighting for. That's the kind of dream you can hold on to. When we exchange our own selfish dreams for God's dreams for our life, that's something you can count on. That's something that will come about in God's timing. 
God's dream for our life. Dreams for our life worth believing in, fighting for, never giving up on, contending. I remember a dream at one point I had for myself was to get rich and to be in control, to be able to do anything I wanted to do and, and, and have nobody tell me no and have the money to do it. And I worked on that dream for several years. And then one day, God kind of intervened, crashed into my life. And he, I remember laying on my bed one, one night, first time I had opened up the Bible, and I started reading some passages out of the New Testament. And, and, and I, I had this thought. I want to become a man of God, a man of the Word, just a man that prays and gets to know God. I mean, nothing about pastors or any of that. It just was, I, I want to know God's heart. And I remember thinking, that's not me. That, that, because I was still addicted to some stuff. I was still coming out of stuff. I, that wasn't my plan. That wasn't my dream. But I knew God must have put that in my heart. I remember not wanting to have kids, not wanting to have a wife. Way too much work, you know? <laughs> Just wanting to have fun in life, have some relationships. Yeah, you know, play it easy, play it cool. And then I remember again, this time when God, I, I, I only realized it later that God said, I want you to be a faithful to one woman throughout your whole life and have kids. And to, I want to do something in your family lineage to turn away from all the, the weirdness and dysfunction and the, the unbelief of everybody in your family. Nobody in my family lineage was a Christian. And, and to turn and start something new and start break out of some stuff and, 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 and establish a new lineage of godliness. I knew that wasn't me. It wasn't my plan. It wasn't my dream. God has dreams in his heart to give you. What's your dream? What dream has he placed in your heart? What dreams has he given you that you need to hold on to, you need to not let go of, no matter how hard life gets? No matter how much it looks like you're going two steps forward and three steps back, you need to lay hold of those dreams because they're, they're from God. They're not just selfish. They're not just from you. God gave Joseph a dream, and one thing we have to admire about Joseph as we look at the, the context of his life is that he never gave up. He never gave up. He never gave up on that dream. And even when he was falsely imprisoned, You'll remember this passage, it says, The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. I want that to be enough. Do you want that to be enough for you? Just that God is with you and that he shows you his steadfast love and he gives you favor in prison. I want that to be enough when I'm going through hard stuff, when I'm in the long season of suffering, when life is not playing out like I thought, when my dreams are threatened. I want to know that God is with me, that he loves me, and that his favor rests on me. Never give up on the dream God gives you. Well, Joseph eventually makes it out of that prison. He makes it out of the prison. 
And uh, you'll remember that, that Pharaoh had this dream, a couple dreams, couldn't interpret. He called in his magicians. He called in his, his, his leaders, everybody who was wise that he knew. Nobody could interpret it. Then he hears about this Hebrew slave, this prisoner, that interprets dreams. So he calls him up, he hoses him down, brings him in, shaves his head, puts some, some fresh clothes on him so he doesn't stink. And he says, I hear that you can interpret dreams. And Joseph says, I, I can't, but God can and will. And Joseph ends up interpreting these two very troubling dreams that Pharaoh had. And then overnight, he's propelled into being second in command in Egypt. He becomes this big dog leader overnight. His dream just, just begins to happen right in front of his eyes. He was in charge of a food bank, a national food bank. He was in charge of a 14-year strategic plan for the entire country that affected much of the world. That in the seven years of plenty, he would put aside food and grain and save it. And then in the next seven years, when the bottom falls out of the economy and there's a famine, that then he would sell grain and be in charge of that to not only Egypt, but to, the, to the, the neighboring world around. And so he's living the dream. He's this leader. He's seeing that God has is, is somehow promoted him out of, no, out of this jail cell to this great place of influence. Lo and behold, those brothers living 250 miles away in the land of Canaan, it's about a month's journey, they've run out of food. And now they need food, so they come to Egypt. And as we've looked at that story un unfolding in the previous weeks, <coughs> whoop, sorry, didn't get that. I thought I turned it off for you. But as we, as we see that, that his brothers had come to buy grain, and Joseph hatched this, he, he recognized his brothers, but, you know, it had been 20 years. Joseph took on a new Egyptian name. Joseph looked different. He probably, his dialect was different. He, he didn't speak Hebrew in front of them. He, he probably had makeup on. I don't know. But he looked different. He sounded different. He had servants all around him. His brothers didn't know it was him. So Joseph was in this unique position to masquerade and to basically trick his brothers to go back to the land of Canaan and bring back his younger brother, Benjamin, who he loved. And he was probably really wanting just to get his older brothers out of his life and to get his youngest brother into his life. And, and so he hatched this plan, and it's an elaborate plan, and we've read about it and told the story around it, but it concludes with Joseph placing his silver cup in the satchel of Benjamin, sending them all back to Canaan. And then, of course, they stop them and arrest them and bring them back, find the silver cup that was planted there by Joseph himself and says, okay, Benjamin now must stay with me because he stole my cup and you guys get to go home. And you'd think that it would end there, but I can just imagine that Joseph, you know, he had all of the power at, at, at uh, in Egypt at his disposal. He could have thrown them in the pit. He could have executed them on the spot. And he had good right to for all of the evil they had done to him. But he chose not to do that. He just wanted them out of his life. 
and he wanted Benjamin in his life. But it gets pretty tense and pretty emotional because in the scripture, if you want to turn there, in chapter 44, what you'll notice is that his oldest brother, the, the very one who is probably the, one of the most, uh, most wicked, ends up pleading with him, begging him, saying, please don't keep Benjamin. Do you have a father? Do you have a brother? I have a father. He's old. And he, he begged us not to bring Benjamin with us. And he said, if you bring him and he doesn't come back, that I'll probably die if he doesn't come back. And he begged him and he begged him and he pleaded. And he said, please, don't, 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 don't keep him. Keep me. I'm the one at fault. And Judah offers himself and begs Joseph And Joseph finally has this volcano of emotion rising within him. And look with me in uh, Genesis chapter 45. Joseph could not control himself before those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out of the room. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. The Hebrew verb uh, that is used here when Joseph says, come near to me, is not just come near in proximity, but it was often used for coming near to embrace him and to give him a kiss on the cheek. It was was a term used to say, come into a relationship with me. I want you close. I'm your brother, Joseph. Come close. Now, look, look, can you imagine their faces as they... They're bewildered. They can't speak. They're speechless. They can't imagine, but as they look at him and come close to him, they recognize it is him. It's him, and their sin has found them out, and now they're probably wondering what's going to happen when dad finds out. What's going to happen when neighbors in Canaan find out? What's going to happen when Egypt finds out? And Joseph, this most powerful man in Egypt, knows what will he do to us now. The best-kept secret in all of Canaan is now open to everyone. You see, our sin will find us out. Your sin will find you out. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And all of us deserve judgment. And all of us will be judged because the Scripture teaches us that it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You see, every one of us have that, and his brothers were in that situation. And look at verse 5 with me, the reaction and the response of Joseph. And now, he says, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. I don't know if I would say that. (laughs) For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. 
Look at the perspective that Joseph has. And he says, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go down to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. Did you see it? Four different times. Joseph saw God in and through his circumstances. Always see God in and through your circumstances. He sees God behind it all. He refuses to count himself a victim. God is at work. It's God who was with him. It was God who was loving him. It was God who gave him favor. It was was God who had a bigger plan than any of them dreamed of that involved more than just them and their family. Joseph was uh, tempted, I'm sure, at different times to not forgive. And yet he had this ability to see God in all of his circumstances. If you reflect with with me back through the story, you remember when Joseph was tempted to commit, or or, uh, Joseph was uh, given the opportunity to commit adultery. He may have been tempted in that moment. What did he say? He said, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? When he was falsely imprisoned and he was told the dreams that no one else could interpret, you remember what he said? He said, do not interpretations belong to God? And when he stood before Pharaoh, he said the very same thing. He said, I cannot do it, but God can interpret your dream. Joseph had two sons, and uh, the names are really interesting. He had two sons from an Egyptian wife, and one of them he named Manasseh saying, God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. And then he named his other son Ephraim, which, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Then there was the classic statement found in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, when Joseph said this to his brothers. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me. Let's make no mistake. You had evil in your hearts. What you did to me was evil. It was wrong. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph looked past all these secondary causes to God, and he saw that the Lord's hand was in it, governing it, limiting it, tailoring every circumstance, bringing it about so that the best possible outcome would be there for the most amount of people for the longest period of time. Joseph never quit believing in the dream God had given him. Joseph always saw God, God's hand, God's sovereignty, God's power at work in and through his circumstances. And lastly, Joseph forgave. He forgave his brothers. He didn't take revenge. He didn't give them what they deserved, and they deserved it. But he didn't do that. He let them go. He placed them in God's hands for judgment. And make no mistake, they were judged. They were judged. You can see it uh, even when Jacob, their dad, comes to live in the land of Goshen and he's there in Egypt and his dad is ready to pass away and he gives out blessings and curses. In other words, he gives out judgments to certain ones of the brothers that would affect their life and their lineage to come. There was judgment that happened. 
But Joseph himself did not take it upon himself to do it. He left it to God because he wanted to keep a soft heart and to be forgiving. See, the only real thing that can come between you and the dream God has for you is a heart issue, hard heart, an unbelieving heart, an unrepentant heart, a bitter heart. It's the matters of the heart that often determine the outcomes of our life. And Joseph wanted his heart to be protected, to be soft. And we've got to continually forgive others if we're going to keep our heart soft. Let me ask you, did Joseph struggle to forgive? I absolutely believe he did. I think he struggled over and over and over to forgive and to understand the circumstances. I don't think he came to all these conclusions overnight. And I think that just when he had probably rehearsed the forgiveness and the prayer and the release over and over in the different circumstances of his life, and he, was de- he was finally felt like he was done with it. He was promoted into this position. He's carrying out his leadership role. His brothers show back up in his life. Isn't that how it works often? Just when you think you're done, boom, another test. Did, and so he's forgiving through this process, and he's trying everything he can. You see, he's not exacting judgment on them. See, he wanted, I'm sure. He knew he had the power to do it. No one would ever know. He had the money and the wherewithal, the influence to do whatever he had in his heart to do back to them. But he knew that the temporary pleasure of revenge was not worth it. Look at Joseph, this most powerful man in Egypt, cries and wails guttural crying that all of the palace and all the Egyptians heard him crying. What a picture of a man with a soft heart. He said, come close to me. It's me. And in that, he's saying, I forgive you. This is a picture of what Christ did on the cross. You look at Joseph, we see a great image of Christ himself. After his friends turned against him, his brothers forsook him. The crowds who just previous, previously cheered him, Christ on, worshipped him, now were, were sneering at him, yelling, crucify him. He was beaten bloody with a lead whip. Roman crucifixion was one of the most painful of all executions. They drive spikes through your feet and spikes through your wrist. You hang on that cross, bloodied and beaten. And in order to get one breath, you have to lift yourself up on the spike to breathe because just to get a little bit of air into your lungs until you finally die from asphyxiation. He was mocked, he was spit on, and he was sinless, and he was loving. God's only son. And in his final words, you'll remember what he said as he's, as he's, as he's ready to commit his spirit to God. He says, forgive him, God. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again from the grave on the third day. And all of my sins and all of your sins and all of the world's sins were placed on his shoulders at the cross. Jesus had the power to free himself. He had the power to call angels to his rescue. He had the power to execute judgment in that moment. But he chose not to. 
Instead, he chose to forgive. And he says, come near to me now. Come near to me. Let go of your shame. Let go of your guilt. Quit trying to beat yourself up. Just come near to me. Receive the forgiveness that I provide for you on the cross because I love you and I want a relationship with you. Knowing Jesus offers me that type of forgiveness and that kind of relationship makes it possible for me to forgive others. He wants wants you to forgive today. Who is it that comes to your mind that you still, as you look in the rearview mirror, they, they still... They're still there. It's a circumstance. It's an event. It's a person. It's a situation. And it threatens to make your heart hard and to keep it hard. Someone who's disappointed you or sinned against you or didn't protect you. Someone who abused you. A situation that was just unjust and unfair. You got to let it go if you want to keep a soft heart. Not blame them. Not blame God, not blame yourself. See, the dream that God has for your life is one that you can rely on and count on and one that you can fight for and one that you can, you can fe- not, never quit. But we got to keep our heart soft. and we got to forgive others if we want that to come about. Don't give up on the dream. Don't give in. Don't don't give up on God. Don't give up on yourself because he is writing a new script over your life, one that's different, different than the one you wrote for yourself, different from the family dysfunction of your past that tries to define who you are. See, the only thing that will hold you back is living in the past. God has a new future. God has a new script. He wants to develop in you a godly heritage through your life one that pours into your kids and your grandkids. He wants to break you free from sinful patterns of your past and family dysfunctions and all of that crud. Let it go. Let it go. Sins that you've committed towards others and the sins that others have committed towards you. All forgiven when we come to the cross and we kneel at the cross and we open our heart up to what Jesus did on the cross. Dylan sang that song, and he said, it's not going to be that way. It's not going to go that way. His heart of stone, smash the past so that I can live to stand. That's God's heart for us, that we would exchange that hard heart for a heart of flesh, a heart that's soft, a heart that's pure, and he provides the ability for that. Let's go to him right now and ask for that. Would you bow your head as we pray? God, we just thank you for the life of Joseph, the powerful lessons that we see through his life, but ultimately that it points to the cross and it points to you, Jesus. And that you have dreams to give us. And I just pray that you would pour in this morning, God, some fresh dreams into our hearts. We want to exchange our selfish dream for your dream for our life, God, whatever that may be. Would you just open your heart to God right now and just just ask him, say, Lord, would you place in me some fresh dreams, dreams that come from you? Just begin to stir that in me, God. 
something that I can really fend for, believe in, fight for, never give up on. Maybe you have a dream that you know came from God and you're tempted to give up on it. Just say, well, he doesn't care. He's just not making it come about. Would you ask him for a pure heart, a steadfast spirit, just a renewed strength, just to trust him? That you can't bring it about. It has to be him. Lord, would you also pour into us the ability to see you through our circumstances, especially the difficult ones and the seasons of suffering, Lord. Would you help us see your hand at work? Even if we can't see it in the moment we're in it, Lord, just give us the perspective we need as we move forward. And then, Lord, there's the matter of forgiveness. Who is it that you need to let go of? Who is it that you need to forgive? What is it that you need to forgive? Do that right now, would you? Just in the quietness of your seat, bring that person, or God's already brought that event or that person to mind. Would you give it to God? Even if you've done it before, just give it back to him. I forgive. I forgive you. I'm letting you go. I will not allow that to create hardness in my heart. I need a soft one. put you in God's hands. I forgive you. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that you need to really invite Christ into your life to let him be the forgiver of your soul. You haven't done that. The full weight of your life, the full weight of your trust in what Jesus has done on the cross for you. knocking on the door of your heart. You know it. Open the door. Just pray this prayer along with me. Jesus, I open the door of my heart. I invite you in. I accept and receive forgiveness for my sin, for the hardness of my heart, and I just pray that you change me, forgive me, Place in me, Lord, your vision for my life. I want to walk with you. I place the full weight and the trust of my life in your hands today. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. I want to come close to you. In this quiet moment, if that was you, would you just lift your hand? Lift your hand. Let me know. Thank you. Good. Anybody else? Just the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart and you're opening your heart to him today. Thank you, God. God, we pray that you just infuse our brothers and sisters who've opened their heart to you today, God, just with a new life, a new script. Lord, just a, your spirit placed in them and on them. Help them know you. God, let them sense the intimacy of your love in their life. Shepherd them through any difficulties that they're going through right now. God, we pray that you would just pour your love and your power into their life, that they would just know that you're with them and that you uphold them by your steadfast love. Pour out your favor on their life, God. We pray. We just thank you, Father, for what you're doing in each of us or that we won't give up. 
God, that we will always see you. And Lord, that we'll continually be forgivers. We pray this in Jesus' name. That is a great, powerful, strong, and encouraging word, isn't it? It really is. And there's, there's some work we have to do with that. It's a great way to close out this series uh, that we've had about the life of Joseph. I personally have loved the little subtitle that's at the edge of the thing that's just, uh, God is greater than me, that proved out in the life and the circumstances of Joseph. We watch it play out in our lives as well. Uh, and it's a great thing. Next week, we'll start a new series called Wildfire. Uh, it's going to touch on... Uh, what happens when what God's doing in us individually uh, gets some traction and begins to grow and spread and become a movement and something really powerful. So I want to encourage you to come back ready for that as well. That's going to be a great series as well. And I want to send you out this morning with a bit of a charge, with a bit of a commission, uh, with some work to do. So in preparation for that, would you stand and get ready to receive? I love the fact that um, God used Joseph to, uh, to provide resource for the world and to preserve life for the world in a, in a time of need, right? And in all of his brokenness, uh, in all of the, the downturns in his life, God used Joseph. We live in a community in desperate need of resource and in desperate need of the abundant life that is ours in Christ. And do you know who he's going to use to provide that and to preserve that life? It's going to be the broken, messed up, falling down people right here gathered in this room. That's how he works, and that's who he uses. So I, so I am commissioning you today, as you go, to be the people God uses to provide resource and to preserve life, not just here where we meet, but out where we live in the community. God bless you. Have a great week as you go.